Well, the message on the front page of the press last Tuesday was, climate change, it's in our hands. But what exactly is in our hands? Inside the paper, Stuff's handy graphics showed that our emissions mostly come from agriculture and manufacturing, but if you don't own a farm or a factory, and most of us don't, what then? Well, on Morning Report the same day, RNZ's Jordan Bond highlighted one area where we really do have a choice to emit less, transport. But in spite of what we know, many New Zealanders choose to do the opposite. The country's household transport emissions have increased 13% in the last five years, far outpacing the growth in the dairy and manufacturing industries. Ministry of Transport figures show New Zealanders are also driving more, up 7% per capita in the last five years. And that's because of what we drive as well as driving more often. The top four most popular passenger cars last year were all SUVs or sports utility vehicles. The urban tractors are a common sight in posh inner city Auckland. The road's full of them. SUVs are everywhere. Well, the big cars on the road around Ponsonby Road, I don't know why really. But those sky-high SUV sales, Jordan Bond outlined there, are eclipsed by sales of other high-emitting vehicles, which were made for the farm, but that you now see just about everywhere. So utes, such as the top-selling Ford Ranger or Toyota Hilux, and vans are excluded. Household transport emissions going up by 14% in just five years have wiped out any gains from fuel efficiency or alternative fuels, leaving RNZ's Jordan Bond with a bleak conclusion. 2019's figures, the most recent reliable data that the Ministry of Transport has, were the second highest since the turn of the century. They measured more than 9,000 kilometres per person was travelled over the year. But at local and regional level, there's little evidence that transport emissions are being taken seriously. Auckland's new regional land transport plan, for example, which covers the next 10 years, forecasts per capita transport emissions will be down just 1% by 2031. If climate change really is in our hands, as the press said last Tuesday, we're sitting on our hands when it comes to transport emissions. Indeed, we're sitting stalled in traffic, with some in the media manning the roadblock. And it is indeed the same when it comes to roads, as Hayden Donnell now reports. When Transport Minister Michael Wood announced a $685 million bike and pedestrian bridge over the Waitamata Harbour in Auckland, the howls of protest began almost immediately. The loudest cries came from the direction of the News Talk ZB studios, where several popular hosts cleared their schedules to take pot shots at the project. Here's Mike Hosking. In the week that we've talked about the three waters and the infrastructural issues of this country being 180 billion, we suddenly have a close to a billion for a cycleway. That seems nuts, doesn't it? And Heather Duplessis Allen. This announcement, plus the boomer bike bridge to Birkenhead, plus the cancellation of desperately needed roading projects like Mill Road south of Auckland and State Highway 1 from Port Mars and Whangarei, plus all the cycleways being built everywhere, plus the removal of car parks, plus the planter boxes popping up to block off roads in your neighbourhood and that petrol levy in Auckland, all of that is going to remind you they're not listening to you. They are deliberately leaving you in congestion. And Kerry McIver. You've got the boomers bike bridge to Birkenhead when you have the small towns screaming for drivable roads so they can drive the many hundreds of kilometres they need to drive to access hospital treatment. That's in the North and South Island. Or to simply be able to get supplies into their town, like Methven. They just want one little bridge, thanks very much. Credit where credit's due, the Boomer Bike Bridge to Birkenhead is a powerful and memorable insult. Though I would have noted that the bridge would have also served Northcote, which is home to one of the largest kanga order developments in the country. 
A mid-June Herald story revealed Waka Kotahi had assessed the bike and pedestrian bridges benefit cost ratio, or BCR, at 0.4, or 40 cents for every dollar invested. It carried the headline, Stupidly Expensive, Real Cost of New Auckland Harbour Bike Bridge Revealed. That stupidly expensive quote came from Axe David Seymour, who also told the Herald, We'd lose less if Michael Wood sent taxpayers' money to a Nigerian prince to keep safe until he can pay us back. In her Herald on Sunday column that same month, Kerry McIver pointed out the pedestrian and cycle bridge cost as much as 26 new bridges in flooded Ashburton. McIver failed to note the hold-up on that $30 million bridge was actually mostly the fault of the local council. But these attacks clearly struck a chord with both the public and the media. Newshub's Tova O'Brien described the walk-in cycle bridge like this in her story accompanying the release of the latest Newshub Read Research poll. Nurses strikes, the botched bubble, vaccination rates, a really overpriced cycle bridge and ute gate. Newshub went on to reveal that 81.7% of its poll respondents opposed the bridge. Given that opposition, it came as little surprise when Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern signalled the bridge wouldn't be going ahead over the weekend explaining to the Herald's political editor Claire Trevet that she's a pragmatist. The following day, the Herald's post-mortem on the ill-fated proposal matter-of-factly described it as a white elephant. Maybe that's fair enough. The bridge should really have included public transit, even accounting for some institutional anti-bike bias at Waka Kotahi, which has spent the last few decades building a succession of motorways. Its BCR isn't great. It was easy to create the impression it was overpriced and extravagant. But what if I told you that in the exact same transport plan that funded the Boomer Bike Bridge to Birkenhead, there is a project that will cost at least twice as much and deliver less than half the benefits? Imagine the media evisceration that project would receive, the wails of rage that would echo around the beehive and the media sphere about the potholes we could be fixing instead. As it happens, that project does exist. The Ōtaki to North of Levin Highway had a BCR of 0.37 in 2018 when it was projected to cost... $817 million. In the latest funding round, that price tag has blown out to $1.5 billion, and the BCR is now thought to be 0.2 or lower. Unlike the bike bridge, it will encourage more people to drive, leading to more carbon emissions, which the IPCC has fingered as a key player in a catastrophic, unfurling environmental disaster. Despite that, outside of a few news reports on potential court challenges to the proposal, the media response has been muted. It's hardly the only overpriced roading project that's enjoyed relative anonymity. The Carpety Expressway, funded under John Key's national government, had a BCR of 0.2. That provoked a little bit of critical coverage from Campbell Live, but few other outlets followed suit. Perhaps the most egregious recent example of this double standard is in the coverage of the project Labour has signalled it wants to focus on instead of the bike and pedestrian bridge. A road and public transport tunnel under the Waitamata Harbour had a BCR of just 0.2 when it was still expected to cost $10 billion. That price tag has now risen to $15 billion, or 22 times more than a walk and cycle bridge, and it's unlikely the BCR has gotten better as a result. The howls of protests have been pretty quiet over that. In fact, they've mostly only come from one journalist, the Herald Simon Wilson. He recently wrote an article headlined, Blowout, Auckland's Harbour Tunnels Will Cost $15 billion. Was that headline a bit of a subtle dig at the more sympathetic coverage roading projects typically enjoy? I put that question to him. Yeah, I wrote the headline blowout and they, they left it on, uh, which I was pleased about. You don't get the same level of complaints about roading costs. Um, and I think a good example of that is the Mill Road project, which was 
greenlit by the government at the beginning of 2020 and then put down to a severely reduced form um, earlier this year at the same time as the um, cycling bridge was announced. And a lot of commentators made the direct equation. But in fact, the blowout on the Mill Road project was much, much bigger uh, than the cost of the cycling bridge was going to be. So, you know, they, they didn't directly equate at all. But actually what we had there was complaints that it wasn't going ahead in its original form. That's right. That's right, yes. Cycling projects, uh, many of them have very good uh, business case attached to them. Very few major roads do. Uh, Mill Road didn't. The East-West Link proposal in Auckland doesn't. Um, Even Penlink doesn't. And yet we are quick to hear about uh, any problem to do with the cycling uh, uh, infrastructure. But people do seem to take it on the chin a bit uh, when it comes to roads. Yeah, well, why is that? Why do you think we've had two months of venomous coverage over this $685 million cycling bridge when we'll often spend billions on highway projects or they'll blow out by hundreds of millions of dollars and we won't even blink an eye? It's very easy for people to think that uh, if I'm stuck in traffic, what will help me is to put another lane on this road, uh, to widen the road and create more capacity for cars and then uh, the traffic will flow. It is hard often to understand that actually that's not what happens. If you create uh, more capacity on a road, uh, what you are doing is encouraging more people to drive, and they will. You're inviting more people onto the road, and you don't fix congestion. You simply make it uh, worse. Do you think that part of the reason why cycling projects get so much hate is because maybe the public, but also reporters, don't necessarily understand that concept of induced demand? Uh, induced demand is it's one of those concepts that makes people fall asleep as soon as they hear it, actually, so it's, it is quite hard to explain. Um, and what probably also happens is that uh, it just feels so counterintuitive uh, that people think, gosh, it, it, it can't be true here. How much of the complaining over it, both from the media and obviously it's from the public as well, is sort of down to a little bit of innumeracy or unawareness of how big the overall transport budget is? I think that even with that cycling bridge included, it was walking and cycling was only something like 2% of the overall transport budget for the next 10 years. If you think about the cycling infrastructure and how little there is in Auckland particularly. I mean, last year they got down to, I think they built four kilometres. Their target was only 10 and they haven't met that for some years. And yet everything they build always um, gets housed protests and supposed enormous cost of it uh, is is factored into those protests. But just a little over 2% of the transport budget is going on cycling and walking. And yet for reasons of helping with congestion and health and, of course, the climate crisis, it should be one of the spearheads of the whole strategy. How much of the double standard in road versus cycling project reporting is down to the fact that that network isn't there yet and so those users aren't there yet? I sort of think of it as similar to housing where people that will benefit from an apartment project aren't in the apartments yet and so the existing landowners get the priority. Many media and in the public uh, find it hard to see the future, uh, the potential, and see the demand, which, of course, is in the future. It's not, it's not demand that exists now. There are no people swimming with their bikes. There are no cyclists gathered on the foreshore in despair. You know. <laughs> it can't be, can't be approached in that way. For all the anger over its price tag, maybe the most honest appraisal of the opposition to the walk and cycle bridge over the Waitemata came from News Talk's Glenn Hart who explained why he didn't support the proposal, 
but did support the expensive Puhoi to Walkworth motorway extension like this. I'm certainly looking forward to having that road. I don't care how much it costs. I'd rather they spend money on that than things that I will never use, like a cycle bridge over the harbour, for example. Maybe that point of view is understandable. Most people drive, and so they see roads as the most practical transport investment. But the world is warming, transport emissions are contributing to that, and encouraging more people to bike and walk is just about the most effective thing governments can do to address that problem. There's also the issue of simple geometry. As Simon Wilson says, wider roads induce more driving, which creates more congestion, which means you need wider roads. Eventually, you just run out of space. In a comment piece on Tuesday, Stuff's political editor Luke Malpass said the IPCC report will be the basis of commitments our government will have to make on emissions, like it or not. And so far... New Zealand has still been much better at giving lip service to emission reductions than actually driving down emissions, including the current government. This report will again make the case for relative inertia and complacency harder to make. Given that, you'd think the media would view cycle and pedestrian infrastructure with a little bit of a more favourable lens. If the opposite is true, it's hard to see how we'll ever start building for the future we want, rather than the congested, polluted present we have. Hayden Donnell there on how the media can be a bit of a roadblock on efforts to cut transport emissions and traffic congestion in our cities and towns.